This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. It's sci-fi time on the show tonight. X-1 is an American half-hour science fiction radio drama series that was broadcast from April 24th of 1955 to January 9th of 1958 in various time slots on NBC. It was known for high production values in adapting stories from the leading American authors of that era. X-1 has been described as one of the finest offerings of American radio drama and one of the best science fiction series in any medium. Initially, a revival of NBC's Dimension X, the first 15 episodes of X-1 were new versions of Dimension X episodes, but the remainder were adaptations by NBC staff writers, including Ernest Canoy and George Lefertz and of newly published science fiction stories by leading writers of the day, including Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Philip K. Dick, Robert Heinlein, just to name a few. The series was canceled after the 126th broadcast on January 9th of 1958. However, the early 70s brought along a wave of nostalgia for old-time radio and a new experimental episode, The Iron Chancellor by Robert Silverberg, was produced in 1973, but it failed to revive the interest in the show. Now to tonight's episode, Hallucination Orbit. Countdown for blastoff. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company presents X minus one. Tonight, Hallucination Orbit by J.T. McIntosh. It's Chaka, sir. 
Stand by to release pickup rocket. Yes, sir. We'll break orbit in eight hours. Have damage control pull the rods on the number three pile. Check leakage. Yes, sir. Try and have the locks cleared of all unessential personnel when that pickup rocket comes back. There's no point in making trouble. I understand, sir. Pickup rocket away, sir. Very well. Take over, Mr. Chaka. I will be in my quarters if I'm wanted. Well, now then, Mr. Danbury, make yourself comfortable. I thank you, Captain. You care for a drink? Scotch in that bowl, bourbon in the other. No, thank you. I can't get quite used to squirting liquor from a rubber bulb as if I were oiling and bearing. <laughs> well, you'd have a devil of a time pouring from a bottle in free fall. Well, how are you enjoying your trip? It's very interesting. It's very nice of you to give me a lift. You know... It would have been eight months before another ship came along. Oh, a lot more than that, with the main Pluto Dean station out. Probably eight years. Really? That long? I thought the whole run to Pluto was under 18 months. Yes, it is, when the beam is running. You see, Mr. Danbury, we left Earth 27 days after the beam broadcast from Pluto station broke. We've been spaceborne close to six years. I suppose that's why you're on orbit around this planet, picking up supplies or something, eh? Oh, well... Oh. This is a standard pickup for the space beam service. We sent a rocket down to take off a man who's been the only inhabitant of this planet for a little over two years. Well, I expect he'll be glad to see you. Well, there's no telling. <laughs> I know I would. After two years of duty, Mr. Danbury, you might not know anything. Oh, psychiatric troubles? Solitosis. It's from the Latin, solace, alone. Is that uh, much of a problem? Only in space. Here, look. Ah, look through that port. Seems empty. It is. It's empty of horizon, sky, sunlight, ground. It's empty of time. It's empty of people. You can't live in it too long without something happening. I see. But surely people have been alone before spaceflight. Oh, yes, but they have been on the same world with other people. And that seems to make a difference. You take a hermit on Earth, he may spend his life trying to escape civilization. Put him on a deserted world, he turns psychotic. Is there a cure? Oh, sure. Put him back with people. At least about 40 people. That seems to be the critical number. See, I have 48 in this ship's complement. I could run her with about 18. But if I tried to, I'd have psychos on my hands six months after blast-off. But then every one of these men on the beam stations, they're all alone, aren't they? That's right. Well, then they must get it. They do. It wouldn't pay to leave more than 40 men on a space station. And less than 40 is too dangerous. Solitosis can be homicidal. So they leave one man. But he gets it all right. But you can snap him out of it just by taking him back to Earth. That's why I like to have as few people as possible around when the pickup ship comes back. It can be pretty unpleasant. Well, what are they like? How does it affect them? Well, so far, I have picked up about 28 space station officers. I've seen 28 different sets of symptoms. I wouldn't want the job of getting those guys out of their stations and into that pickup rocket. Captain here. Pickup rocket. Signaling, sir. All right, Mr. Charter. Prepare to receive the pickup. Alert the psychiatric staff, and I'll be right there. Uh, would you care to see them bring him in, Mr. Danbury? You're welcome, if you have a strong stomach. 
I don't think so, thank you. All right. Mr. Chaka, as soon as the rocket is secured, make a trajectory for the next station. Yes, sir. That's Pluto Station 3. Carry on. Pluto Station 3. That will be a hummy of a job. He has been on that lump of rock all by himself for close to six and a half years. Pluto Station 3, Daily Report, Colin Ord, Space Officer. Everything is in fine shape. Through my port, I can see Mars, Earth, Saturn, Mercury. <laughs> ah, that little devil, he's hiding behind the sun. He's been quite furtive lately. Why I'm required to record this report every day escapes me, because it's quite obvious to any empty-headed brass hat at the central office that not a word of this has been worth the tape it's been recorded on for the last five and a half years. But if it amuses you gentlemen to hear me wander, after all, you are paying for the tape. Oh, which gives me a fine thought. I'm going to set the pickups through the whole station and leave the tape running. That'll give you a daily report all day, so keep on listening. Right now, I have the distinct impression that Earth is winking at me. A rather suggestive lewd wink. It helps to see the planets, doesn't it? Hmm? Oh, I... I thought you were reading. I was. You know, if you hadn't been able to see the planets, you would have been a straitjacket case long ago. Well, who knows I'm not one now. You don't, anyway. Well, I think that so long as you talk sanely about madness, you can't be so far gone. It's out there somewhere, isn't it? The rescue ship. Somewhere? How long now, Colin? Where could they be now if they started whenever the beam failed? I haven't worked it out since the last time you asked, but they could be very close. If the beam hadn't failed, they would have been here long ago, wouldn't they? Oh, sure. Eleven months with the beam, over six years without it. Well, anyway, that triple time six years pay adds up to quite a pile. <laughs> You'll be set up for life when you get back to Earth, won't you? And at 29... I'll be rotten with money. Oh, well. It's been nice knowing you. That's because of the others before you. I've learned a lot. Never talk of the others. And above all, never talk of any others to come. I'm sorry. Would you like to play chess? It's a long time since we did. I don't think so. Not anymore. I'm a little tired of chess. Oh, I know. I know. I understand. I won't bother you. I'll go to my room, Colin. Well, don't get upset. I'm not. I understand. You're just tired. Of chess. You still listening, gentlemen? That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? I'm afraid you can't hear her on the tape. That's Una. And I'll tell you what she looks like. You might find it interesting... She's beautiful, but rather cool. She always wears a white shirt and sharp, creased green slack. She's got a good figure, but in a calm sort of way. She plays a good game of chess, although I beat her two out of three times. 
Of course, you know why you can't hear her on the tape. But I still know, too. That's point in my favor, isn't it? That brings up an interesting question, gentlemen, because I'm tired of Una. I'm beginning to find her a long, cool, slightly unappealing bore. My problem is how to get rid of her. I can't just tell her to vanish. She's a little too real for that. I dreamed up a ship to bring her. I'll have to find another to take her away. Well, I might as well get to it. Oh, no. No, I'm not going to bother about the ship. It's too much mental effort. I'd have to think up everything I saw. And frankly, gentlemen, I'm... I'm too tired. Maybe she'll take the hint. A lot of them did. Susie did. And Alice. Oh. I remember Margie. There was a girl. A load of bricks had to fall on her head. Took me four weeks to get rid of her. No. To let Una figure her own way to get off the station. gone. I thought she might. The ship's gone, too. Well, all in all, I don't think Una was really very satisfactory. One of these days, I'll start believing in them, and I'll be really gone. Well, if I activate the main screens now, I'll see a ship coming in to land pretty soon. Every once in a while, I have a thought that when the ship really comes... I'll think it's make-believe. Yes, there it is. A small ship curving in for a landing. I suppose I could check on the detectors. I know they register anybody within 100,000 miles, but I don't bother checking them anymore because someday the moment will come when I check the detectors. And I'll see just what I want to see. Well, the ship's coming in for a landing now. I'll go out to meet it. I'm rather interested to find out what the explanation will be for the girl. Naturally, it will be a girl. It's all right. You can take your helmet off. The air's all right in here. Oh, good heavens, no. Baker was before me here. You can't be one of his dreams seven years late. I'm Ord, Colin Ord. Before we go any further, just how does solitosis affect you? Well, that's new. None of them ever asked that before. It makes me see things that aren't there. And you know there's nothing there? Mm, sometimes. Do you know I'm here? I'm making a point of not wondering about it. Well, one thing you can be sure of. This. Do you see this? This is a gun. I just want you to know I'm not heaven's little gift to lonely space station officers. Is that clear? Oh, yes. Yes. What's your name? 
Elsa Cutterline. You want to know why I'm here, of course. Not particularly. What? Well, that's always the weakest part of the story. I don't like to press it. Why don't you, uh, take off your space suit? I'll tell you why, just the same. I killed a man. Why and how doesn't matter. I had access to an experimental ship. I thought if I disappeared for about two years... Oh, every... please don't labor over it. I'm not asking questions. Why not? Well, when we get around to it, I would be interested in the story you can concoct for being dressed like the cover of a magazine story in rather minimal clothing. It's been years since I thought of anything like that. You must be a throwback. What are you talking about? You know, you're going to have a tough time with that gun when you get tired of holding it. It's a heavy gun. How long do you think it'll be before I take it from you? After all, you have to sleep. There's no door in the station you can lock that I can't get in. I know. I just wanted to make sure you weren't violent. I think I can get on with you, Ort. Mm, yes, yes, I see. The question is, my dear, whether you're real or not. Well, don't I look real? Oh, yes, but that doesn't prove anything. As a matter of fact, the realer you look, the worse off I might be. But then there still is the remote possibility that you might actually have killed someone and decided to hide out on a space station. Shall I tell you something else, Elsa? What? I'm suddenly tired of the whole business. Breathe there a man with soul so dead, I'm sure you know the rest of it. I would suddenly like to have enough people around me so that I could be sane. I would like to find women as part of life instead of having them pop up here from the depths of my rather... Pornographic subconscious. Ah, but you've shaken me, Elsa. Twenty-four hours ago, I was congratulating myself that solitosis hadn't really gotten me. But now I don't know. Just don't try anything funny. Or you'll find out whether I'm real. The hard way. Any way is the hard way. First, I'll go out and have a look at your ship. Fourteen pounds per square inch air. Heat. Now, I take a gasoline lighter. There, the flame lights. But on the other hand, if there was no lighter and I see it, I could also see it burn when there isn't any air. As a matter of fact, how do I know that I can read a meter for air pressure? And now that I look again quickly, I find I haven't got a lighter in my hand, and as a matter of fact, the pressure meter reads zero. There's no air on this ship. As a matter of fact, there isn't any ship. Elsa is no more real than Una. All right, Colin, old boy, sit here and concentrate for about 15 minutes and you'll be able to walk through the walls of the ship. Well, what did you find out there? You'd better leave. It was a mistake you're coming here. I'm sorry. No, don't come any closer to me. Put down the gun. Keep back. I'm warning you. Keep back. You see, it's no use. 
Oh, you're a good shot. You've got me right between the eyes, but I couldn't feel a thing. I can't let myself be shot now, can I? Give that to me. There. Now remember, if you shoot me, nothing happens. But if I shoot you, you die. Do you know that? Yes, I know that. I'll give you about 20 minutes to get that overstuffed figure back into that spacesuit and get off my planet. Frankly, I'm getting tired of hallucinations. Tired. Give me back my gun. No, no, no. I'll keep that. After a while, I'll put it in a drawer. It'll stay there until I forget it. Then there won't be any gun anymore. From now on, my overblown figment, there will be no more Elsas or Susies or Margies. I am not going to give in to solitosis. Maybe. Maybe I'll bring Una back. At least she could play chess. Pluto Station 3, Daily Report, Colin Ord, Space Officer. Gentlemen, I have successfully fought off solitosis for two days and I have been alone. However, I'm afraid I'll lose as I watch my main scope now. I see a ship coming in again. I wonder what this one will be like. It's a launch from a larger spaceship. Maybe a lifeboat. Dorothy came in a lifeboat. I wonder what this one will be like. But I've got to find out when she comes whether she's real. That's the key, as long as I know if she's real. When I don't care anymore, that's when it's really got me. The ship's down now. There she comes, out of the airlock. I've got to find out whether she's real. Colin Ord. That's right. I'm Dr. Lynn of Four Star Line. Marilyn Lynn. Oh, very pretty. You're going to tell me your story now, or do I have to wait? I'm not going to tell you anything till I've found out a little more about you. Well, you're an improvement on the last one. At least you're young and beautiful, and you're not fantastic, and you look intelligent. What do you mean? Don't worry about me. I see things that aren't there. Particularly people. Oh, so you don't believe I'm here. Would you? If you were me? Do you know I'm not here? No, that comes with time. At least it always has so far. You mean you've always proved to yourself that your visitors were mere fantasies? With a struggle. Interesting. Controlled solitosis. I never heard of it before. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Ord. No, no, that doesn't make you real. They all say that. Why should I want to make you accept me as real? I don't know. But they all do. When will you know? Oh, I can't say. Maybe in five minutes. Maybe not for hours. How do you do it? You don't shoot me to see if I die or anything like that, do you? No, nothing like that. If I shoot you, you do die, like the witches in history. They'd die if they were, and they'd die if they weren't. Your mind has remained agile enough. Naturally. I never heard of solitosis inhibiting intelligence. Would you like some coffee? 
Is that part of the test? Whether more coffee is actually drunk than you drink yourself? No, no, that doesn't help. It would be very easy for me to make half what I thought I made, to fill a cup with nothing and pass it back. <laughs> you look afraid. Why should I be? What am I doing? Am I doing something I don't know I'm doing? No. Would you like me to wash the cups for you when we're done? That won't prove anything. Next time they were used, I could just imagine they were washed, couldn't I? Where are you going? To find out if you're real. My ship. Go ahead. Good luck. What's she afraid about? Something I said. None of the others were really afraid of me. I can't tell you. Nothing's happened. The meters all read 15 pounds to the square inch air pressure, but that's no good. I can't tell if I'm reading them at all. Oh. Well, the wall's solid enough. My hand hurts. That doesn't prove anything. Supposing I open my faceplate. If there's no ship and no air. All right, my faceplate's open. I'm breathing air. Then again, on the other hand, my faceplate may still be closed. Maybe I only think it's open. I can't tell. I can't tell that she isn't real. It means it's finally gotten me. It gets everyone. I don't really know if anything's real, if I'm real, if this space station is real, the planet, the universe, the galaxy. Maybe all life is in my mind. I think. Therefore, I am. Yes, I remember that from school. Oh, I'm tired. I've got to get back to the station. Very tired. Close my faceplate. If I ever opened it. Get back to the station. Got a headache. Terrible headache. I'm very tired. Are you all right now? Here, drink this. Mm. What happened? You came in the station lock and passed out. How, how long have I been out? About 24 hours. You're a very sick man, Mr. Rod. <laughs> Reality. Very important thing, isn't it? It's the most important thing there is to learn. Nearly to you. Solitosis naturally affects what matters most to the individual, but we needn't talk about that. But I know now. You're not real. You can't be, even though I feel you are. How did you decide that? I couldn't prove you weren't, not on your ship. I'm too far gone to figure out any test that'll work. But if you are real, then how did you avoid solitosis? The only way there is. There are 48 men and women in the relief ship that's in orbit around your planet right now. I came down in the pickup rocket. We have well above the critical number of people. I keep rational by knowing they're up there in the orbit, and as soon as I'm ready, I'll take you back up there. Well, I suppose I can wait. I don't really care if you're real or not anymore. I know. It'll take a long while before you care. You sound sad. What's the matter? It's the way you look at me. 
What do you mean? What do you see when you look at me? Well, you're strong. Sort of quietly beautiful. About my age. You're wearing a tunic and slacks. And you don't have a wedding ring. I noticed that. That's what I thought you saw. I'm real, but not your picture of me. I'm a doctor, Mr. Ord. All first contacts with station officers are made by trained psychiatrists. I'm a doctor. And I was a girl once. But that was 40 years ago. I'm 66. You can't be. Oh, yes. It was very nice to be a girl again. I could see myself in your eyes and I almost felt young again. As I grow old in the next few weeks, Mr. Ord, you will be recovering. That will show you how your case is progressing. When you see me as I really am, you will be all right. Assuming you're real, Marilyn, it really must take something to come down alone to see one of us. I think I see you now. As you really are. Captain? Yes, Mr. Chaka. Pick up rocket all secured from Pluto number three. Hmm? How is the poor fellow? Good as can be expected. He came on board with Dr. Lynn. Uh-huh. I'm telling you, these guys throw me. There he was holding her hand, looking in her eyes like he was in love with her. And you know what a dried up old bat she is? Yes, I know. All right, Mr. Chalkin. Prepare to blast off. <laughs> Transcription. X-1 has brought you Hallucination Orbit, a story written by J.T. McIntosh and adapted for radio by Ernest Kenoy. Stay tuned for the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. In 1941, the Nelsons joined the cast of the Red Skelton Show, also providing much of the show's music. The couple stayed with the series for three years. They then built their radio experience by guest appearances on other shows like the Fred Allen Show. And when Red Skelton was drafted in March of 1944, Ozzie Nelson was prompted to create his own family situation comedy. And we hear the episode tonight entitled, Worrying.
with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of International Sterling, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. It's uphill all the way from the bus stop at the corner to the Nelson's house at 1847 Rogers Road. A good hard climb, especially at the end of a long day. But say, look at Ozzie Nelson coming up the grade. Knees pounding up and down like pistons, elbows working, chin up, nose out, cutting the wind. Oh, he's in great form tonight. Hey, look at that man go, full speed. Now he's approaching the house, and he turns in without slowing down. A fast, banking turn. Watch that loose board on the step, Ozzy. Oh, he jumped right over it. Like a man with wings, he's on the porch, through the door, and into the house. Uh, Harriet! I'm in the living room, dear. For goodness sakes, who's been chasing you? Oh, nobody. It's just so nice and crisp out, I felt like walking fast. It's a lot of fun walking up that hill real fast. I dare you to tell that to the mailman. No, no, I really mean it sends the blood surging through you. What's the matter? What do you mean? For your face. Are you asking a question or registering a complaint? (laughs) You seem to be terribly concerned about something. Oh, I'm just a little bit worried, I guess. Worried? What about? Oh, nothing important, really. Now, if it's important enough to worry about, then it must be important. No, honestly, it really isn't. Now, Harriet, the worst thing in the world to do is to keep your troubles to yourself. If you have any worries, get them out in the open. Nine times out of ten, you'll find out you didn't have anything to worry about in the first place. Well, this isn't anything like that, dear. Oh, any kind of a worry is a treacherous thing. Does things to you, beats you down, wears you down to a frazzle. Well, I appreciate your concern, dear, but really... Of course I'm concerned. I think I want people to go around saying, look at that poor guy, he's married to a frazzle. (laughs) Come on now, what's bothering you? Well, okay... I went down to the Emporium today, and I saw some drapes I thought would look nice in our living room. Is that all? Oh, for goodness sakes, Harry, we're not living in the Middle Ages, you know. What do you mean, dear? You were afraid that I, the lord of the manor, would chop off your head just because you looked at some new drapes? Well, not exactly. It's just... What did you think I'd do? Have a fit of temper, throw a tantrum, and rant and rave? What a silly thing to worry about. You have my full permission to go downtown tomorrow and buy the new drapes. Thank you, dear. Now, is that all you're worried about? No, I'm worried about how they'll look when they're delivered. I already bought them this afternoon. (laughs) I was just afraid the color might not be quite right. Well, worrying about it won't do any good. Why don't you wait and see? You liked them when you saw them down at the Emporium, didn't you? Well, yes, but suppose they don't look as good in our living room as they did in the Emporium window. Then maybe the Emporium will let us move into their window. Well, they're pretty expensive. Be awful if they turned out badly. Look, you're not going to help anybody worrying about it. They'll probably be the best drapes we ever had. Is that you, boy? Yeah, Mom. It's us. Yeah, it's us. What are you guys so down in the mouth about? What's going on around here today? David had an arithmetic test today, and he's worried. Did you have a test, too? No, not me. Just David. Then what are you so worried about? Nothing. I'm just helping David. (laughs) Well, why are you so worried about your arithmetic test, David? Because arithmetic is my worst subject. 
Do you think you failed? Well, I don't know. They won't tell us till tomorrow. Well, then what's the sense of worrying about it? Because arithmetic is my worst subject. All right, then, since you know that arithmetic is your worst subject, did you study everything you were supposed to know on the test? Oh, sure. And did you concentrate while you were taking it? Of course, Pop. Did you go back and check all your problems? Every one. All right. You did all those things, and why isn't it logical to assume you have nothing to worry about? Because arithmetic is my worst subject. <laughs> Don't you see, David, if you did everything you possibly could to pass the test, there's no point in worrying about it? You did the best you could. That's all you can do. Well, I never looked at it that way, Pop. I guess you're right. Of course I'm right. I probably passed the test okay. Maybe I even got 100. That's possible. Thanks, Pop. I won't worry about it anymore. That's the spirit, son. But just in case I didn't pass, Ricky, you better keep on worrying. <laughs> okay, let's go out in bed and throw the football around. Okay. Come on, I'll get the ball. Well, I have to give you credit, dear. You're really the happy gloom chaser tonight. I never saw such a family of warriors, even the boys. You must get it from your side of the family. <laughs> didn't your father used to worry a lot? Yes, he did, dear. Every time I went out with you. <laughs> only worried about that old jalopy I used to drive you around in. No, well, he just couldn't understand why you didn't have a steering wheel. <laughs> you and David are just like your father. David worries about his arithmetic test, and yet he knows he did everything possible to pass it. You worry about your new drapes being the wrong color, and you haven't even put them up yet. Well, that's easy enough to say, dear, but you can't turn worries off and on like a faucet, you know. Now look at it this way. I took the car to the garage today. I could sit here and worry that maybe it's going to cost a lot of money to fix it. Well, I hope not. With Christmas coming, we have enough expenses right now. Well, it probably won't, but suppose it does. There's no point worrying about it. If it costs a lot of money, it costs a lot of money, that's all. And there's nothing you or I can do about it. I suppose so. You're a regular rock of Gibraltar tonight, dear. Oh, and in case you're worried about where I'm going, I'm going down to the drugstore and get some ice cream for dessert. Oh, while you're down there, will you see if you can pick up a glamorous woman? I presume that's the title of a magazine Well, of course, dear Don't you think I have enough to worry about with the drapes? Did you want some ice cream, Mr. Nelson? Uh, Mr. Nelson? Mm, no, I'm sorry, Charlie. I was busy looking at this magazine. Uh, what'd you say? Did you want some ice cream? Uh, yes, please. A quart of chocolate and vanilla. Hi, Oz. Oh, hello there, Thorny. Harriet said I'd find you down here. What are you reading there? Oh, uh, one of these silly women's magazines. Harriet asked me to pick it up for her, just looking over this article. What is it? Stop worrying. Yeah, a, a whole big deal about people worrying. You know, same old junk. <laughs> Listen to this. We want to sweep the worry clouds from our mental storehouse and take a new lease on life. This gal claims that 90% of all people worry 90% of the time. Do you believe that, Thorny? I don't know, Oz. She may be right. Oh, it's ridiculous. You don't worry especially, do you? Well, of course I do. Matter of fact, if you want to be honest about it, I think everybody does. Got a whole list of questions here you're supposed to ask yourself. Are you troubled by tension? Do you lie awake at night? Are you troubled by anxiety? Do you fear the future? Are you worried? Yes. <laughs> Are you worried about living beyond your means? Are you concerned about little ailments? Like a pain Are in you... my right shoulder? 
Yeah, yachts are kind of stuff. Things that people always worry about but seldom have. Oz, do you ever you... uh, get a sort of a shooting pain in your right shoulder? Right about here? It, it comes and goes. Oh, about every two or three minutes. <laughs> you see, Thorny, you even do it. Just suggest something that other people worry about, and right away you have a symptom. Oh, I haven't got it now, Oz. I just have it sometimes. Don't you ever have it? Oh, well, sometimes when I've been bowling a lot or I happen to sleep on a peculiar position. Everybody has things like that, but... I'm not going to worry about it, that's for sure. Here you are, Mr. Nelson, a quart of chocolate and vanilla. Oh, thank you, Charlie. Now, you take Charlie here. I'll bet he never worries about anything. Do you, Charlie? Well, I try not to. Of course, I'm sort of a cheerful person by nature, but worry can be a terrible thing, gentlemen. Yes, sir, I think it's the cause of more evil dispositions than anything else in the world. Oh, it sure can bring a person down. Have you ever met my wife, Mr. Nelson? <laughs> I don't think I have. Is she a worrier? Uh, she used to be, yes. I'd come home of an evening, and there she'd sit worrying and worrying. She just made everybody around her miserable. And you decided to do something about it? Well, sir, I figured the best way to make a person stop worrying is to get his mind off it. So every time I'd come home and find her with a long face, I'd give her the old worry treatment. Oh, what would you do, Charlie? Well, sir, I'd go out to the kitchen, get me a couple of ice cubes, sneak up behind her, and drop them right down her back. <laughs> And, and that worked? Absolutely. She's like a new woman. I met her last night for the first time since our divorce, and she's the happiest woman I've ever seen. <laughs> Here you are, Mr. Nelson. Quart of chocolate and vanilla. Did you get my magazine for me, dear? Ozzie? Hmm? Oh, I, I'm sorry, dear. What did you say? Did you get my magazine? Oh, yeah. In fact, I'm just reading an article in it. Would you like to read it? No. Go ahead. I'll read it later. Yeah. Boy, that dinner was terrific. I think I ate a little too much. This belt must be shrinking or something. I have to unfasten it all the time after a big meal. What's the article about, dear? Oh, one of those things with a list of questions you're supposed to ask yourself. One of my... Are you afraid you're living beyond your means? Isn't everybody... And, uh, are you slipping? Are you slipping, dear? No, but your pants are. <laughs> you better fasten that belt again. Now, listen to this. Are you losing your old friends? Well, are we? Of course not. We have the same old friends we've always had. Except maybe they're a little older. Thornberries, the Dunkles, the Randolphs, the Hodges, all the same old friends. Parties, outings together, good times. Uh, where is it we were invited for New Year's Eve? No place, dear. <laughs> Are you sure? I thought you said somebody invited us to a party or something. No, not that I know of. What are the other questions in the article? Oh, it's uh, silly stuff. Do you feel that people are avoiding you? <laughs> Does it seem you are less popular than you once were? Well, that's a standard thing, isn't it? Oh, sure, but the idea of printing these things, telling a person how to stop worrying, it's... Such dull, stupid stuff isn't even interesting. Let me read you some more. Are you having difficulty making new friends? Do you feel that old friends are deliberately avoiding you? That's silly. What's silly about it? Well, for one thing, the idea of telling you to ask yourself these idiotic questions. I immediately assume that everybody who reads the magazine talks to himself. Wouldn't be so bad if the questions made sense. You feel that people are deliberately avoiding you. It's getting late, dear. Let's go to bed. Are all the doors locked? 
I think so. Why, dear? Well, we don't want prowlers walking through the house in the middle of the night. Oh, I don't know. With Ricky's roller skates scattered around, a prowler'd never get past the dining room. <laughs> Something the matter, dear? No. I just got sort of a slight pain in my right shoulder. <laughs> What's the matter, dear? How long has it been since we've seen the Randolphs? Oh, it's been quite a while. Why? Well, didn't we invite them over a couple of weeks ago? Yes, we did, but they had another engagement. They couldn't come. Doesn't that seem like a weak excuse? <laughs> well, why'd you happen to start thinking about the Randolphs? Oh, I was just lying here, thinking. What was that noise? I didn't hear any noise. Sound like a loose shingle on the roof. <laughs> One of this roof will last through the winter. Oh, go to sleep. Harriet. Yes? Do you remember if I locked the garage door? <laughs> the car isn't there, dear. You left it at the shop. Oh, yeah. I can imagine all the things that mechanic's going to find wrong with it. Probably tell me we need a new motor. I wonder what a new motor costs. <laughs> Car isn't worth that much. Drag it away to the junkyard. <clears throat> Ozzy, if you don't stop tossing, you're going to fall out of bed. Read in the paper today about a man who rolled out of bed and broke his leg. <laughs> what are you doing? Well, this bed is pretty high. I think I'll sleep on the floor. <laughs> I hope I can get an appointment with Dr. Brown tomorrow. Well, for goodness sakes, what for? This right shoulder of mine is just killing me. smiling, cheery-faced, devil-may-care Ozzie who came striding up Rogers Road? Can this be the same man who cautiously picks his way up the street, wearing a belt and suspenders, galoshes over his rubbers, a raincoat over his topcoat, and carrying an umbrella? Yes, sir, it's Ozzie. Now he's leaving the sidewalk and circling out into Mr. Thornbury's yard. Oh, I see. A limb on the oak tree hangs over the sidewalk. It could fall on a man's head. Now he's walking along under the eaves of Mr. Thornbury's house. Well, there's an airplane flying over, and you never can tell when a wheel might drop off. <laughs> now he slips across the lawn, up the front steps, carefully avoiding the loose board, and into the house. Uh, yes, yes, dear. Come in the living room. I want you to see the drapes. Oh, uh, are those the ones you bought? Aren't they lovely? You were right. It was silly of me to worry about them. They match perfectly. 
Don't they seem to be a little long? Dragging back and forth on the floor is going to wear them out, you know. Oh, no. No, that's the way they're supposed to be. Look at the material. See how well they're made? What are you doing? Just uh, feeling this material. Doesn't look like it'd clean very well. Some of this fabric shrinks right up to nothing, you know. Well, it's supposed to clean very well. It's guaranteed. Guaranteed? Who guaranteed it? The people who made it. What people? Do you know the people who made this material? Well, of course I don't know Then them. how do you know they'll make good on their guarantee? Well, it's a reputable firm. That ought to mean something. Who says they're reputable? The sales lady at the Emporium. I suppose the sales lady at the Emporium knows the people who made the material. And who knows the sales lady at the Emporium? I don't. Well, I do, and she's quite honest. And the drapes will clean. Suppose they don't wear. They'll wear. Suppose they wear out. They won't wear out. Suppose they don't wear out. You mean to say we have to look at these same drapes the rest of our lives? Ozzie, for heaven's sakes, what's gotten into you? Hey, Mom. Oh, hi, Pop. Hello, David. You were sure right about that arithmetic test, Pop. I didn't have a thing to worry about. You mean you got 100? No, but I got 87. Well, good for you, David. 87? Well, that doesn't sound like such a high mark to me, son. Well, Billy Johnson only got 88, and his mother's the teacher. <laughs> Honest, Pop, 87 is considered awful good. Well, I hope so. You've got to be awful careful about those teachers, though, especially arithmetic teachers. They can be very tricky. Give you a good mark just to get you overconfident. Then on the next exam, wham, they give you the works. <laughs> think so, Pop. Don't worry, I'll do okay. I'm going to get a glass of milk. Ozzie, what's gotten into you? Ever since you read the article in my magazine last night, you've been worrying about everything. Did you pick up the car tonight at the garage? Oh, yeah. It, it wasn't as bad as they thought it'd be. Just something wrong with the carburetor. Cost uh, $3.13. Well, that ought to make you feel a little better. I don't know. It didn't sound right to me coming home. There's a, a clicking sound in the motor. <laughs> Sounds like it's going to fall apart at any minute. No, that's ridiculous. You got home all right in it, didn't you? No, I didn't. You didn't? What happened? I left it down at the gas station to have the oil changed. Well, what I mean is there's nothing wrong with the car. What's happening to you, dear? I thought you never worried about anything. Well, it's just that all of a sudden everything has started piling up on me. Your drapes can't be cleaned or they'll wear out. David's having all that trouble with his schoolwork. The car won't run. I had to walk home the rest of the way. Now, Ozzy, you're just letting your imagination run away with you. You said yourself you left the car at the gas station, and David isn't having trouble with his schoolwork, and my drapes can be cleaned. Now, stop worrying. I'm not worried, Harriet. You know I don't worry. Did you see Dr. Brown about your shoulder today? Oh, yes. What did he say? He said to stop worrying. <laughs> oh, hello, everybody. Oh, hi, Emmy Lou. Come on in. Oh, my, what a pretty dress. Oh, do you like it? It's very attractive, Emmy Lou, but try not to build your hopes too high. What do you mean, Mr. Nelson? Well, it's obvious you got the dress to wear to a Christmas party, but I mean, don't feel too let down if something goes wrong. Well, Ozzie, what are you talking about? Well, you know how things can happen. She might get all dressed, ready to go to the party, looking forward to a wonderful evening. Of course, Mr. No, 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 Nelson. No, 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 that's just it. The last minute your boyfriend may call up. He can't make it. His hot rod is frozen up. <laughs> Maybe his father won't lend him his tuxedo. Everybody else is going to the party, and there you sit alone in your room. Broken-hearted. But that can't happen, Mr. Nelson. Oh, you never can tell, Emmy. But it can't. The party was last night. I went with my boyfriend, and I had a wonderful time. <laughs> You're brave, Emmy. 
You'd say you did even if you didn't. If you folks will excuse me now, I think I'll go upstairs and clean up. Uh, where are my rubber-soled sneakers, Harriet? On the shelf in the closet. Why? I think I'll take a shower, and that tile is pretty slippery. <laughs> Yes, David? Pop doesn't seem very happy today. What's wrong? He seems terribly worried about everything, doesn't he? He sure does. What's that magazine? Oh, this is the one that Daddy was reading last night. And there's an article in here that gives me a wonderful idea. What are you going to do? Uh, you wait and see. What's the matter, Harriet? Oh, nothing, dear. I was just thinking. Anything wrong? No, I was just thinking. Suppose something serious is wrong with a car. It'll take an awful lot of money to fix it. Well, of course. That's what I... Well, we're not sure there's anything really wrong with it. Chances are it's perfectly all right. Stop worrying. Well, I'm not worried. I was just thinking. And then I got to thinking about the Randolphs. It does seem strange they didn't accept our invitation last week. Well, I don't see anything strange about it. If they had a previous engagement, you certainly wouldn't expect them to break it just to come over here. Your shoulder's bothering you again, isn't it? What shoulder? Your right one. Oh. The one that's been giving you so much trouble, you seem to be favoring it. Do you think it's anything serious? Oh, dear, it's fine. Will you stop worrying? Say, you haven't by any chance been reading that article in the magazine, have you? How to Stop Worrying? You mean the one that started you worrying? What makes you say that? Well, simply the fact that ever since you've read it, you've done nothing but worry and lie awake at night. You mean you don't think the article's any good? Well, there's nothing wrong with the article. It's just you didn't read the last page. On the last page, it tells you exactly how to stop worrying. And you read the last page? Of course, and it works. It says if you want to stop a person from worrying, take his mind off himself and make him worry about somebody else. <laughs> You mean that's what you just did? Of course, dear. You were worrying yourself sick, so I may believe I was worried, and you snapped right out of it. You must admit it worked beautifully, didn't it? Yes, I, I think it did. What makes you think I didn't read the last page? Well, if you'd read the last page... to stop me from worrying? Are you happy with the drapes, dear? Of course. You're not worried about them anymore? No, of course not. And David isn't worried about his arithmetic? Not anymore. Pretty good article, wasn't it? <laughs> Ozzy, how clever of you, dear. And what a wonderful way to teach us a lesson. <laughs> just one thing, though, Harriet. It might be just as well if you don't tell anybody about this. But why, dear? Well, it'd upset the whole formula. The husband is supposed to be the bumbling, bumbling, stupid one who makes all the mistakes. It's the wife who's supposed to be the clever, level-headed one who straightens things out. Are you sure you were just making believe you were worried? Oh. You really put on quite an act. The roof leaking, losing all our friends, your aching shoulder. Are you sure you got all that from the last page of the article? Uh, no, dear, I'll have to confess. I got the whole idea from an old Chinese proverb. Would you like to hear it? Not especially. <laughs> old Chinese proverb say, 
When wives start to worry about living room drape, she give husband a big pain in the shoulder. Prowling around the kitchen in the middle of the night. Oh, I, I just thought I'd get a glass of milk. I'm having a little trouble getting to sleep. Don't tell me you're still worrying. Well, to be honest with you, I, I guess I am just a, a little bit. I got sort of in the habit of it, teaching you and the boys a lesson. You gonna get something to eat too? No, dear. I just heard about a wonderful way to get a person's mind off his worries. I, I don't look. It's a surprise. Well, I'm not going to drink any hot milk if that's what you're trying to get me. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Charlie at the drugstore told me of a fiendish thing that he used to do. It seems... As... <laughs> now, that's not funny. Besides, he used ice cubes. I know, dear, but ice cream is much messier. <laughs> next week to another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. Yes, Harriet, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were John Brown, Tommy Bernard, Henry Blair, Janet Waldo, and Jack Kirkwood. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This is Vern Smith speaking. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Whistler, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.